Welcome to Gender Weird, the podcast where we ruin your favorite movies by calling them gay. This is Jane. And I'm Vivian. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Psycho and Silence of the Lambs, and in general the uh, the problematic trope of the, the trans serial killer. Um, it's a very pervasive trope that's been around for a, a very long time, and we're here to talk about it and look look more deeply into it. So I, I'm curious, where exactly do you think that this comes from? Like like this idea that where people start associating gender nonconformity, drag, transness, even with kind of like criminal, like you know, psychopathy and uh, and like sociopaths and stuff like that. Well. Um, it actually is is pretty pretty unambiguously and directly traceable to uh, the case of Ed Gein. In 1957 in Plainfield, Wisconsin, a woman went missing and her body was found um, at this guy uh, Ed Gein's place. Um, like she had been decapitated and you know her, her body was being you know like dressed down like a, like, a, like a deer. And the uh, you know he was, you know, accused of, of the murder, and he, he confessed to it as well. But the the thing that really got people, that really, like, you know, fucked with them, and, like, is responsible for the sensation, is, it turns out, Gein had been robbing graves, um, had been just exhuming corpses, and making things out of them, with, like, you know, like, they're, they're lampshades out of skin, lampshades and wastebaskets, mm-hmm. uh, out of skin, body parts, uh, he was a creative fellow. Um, the thing that people like really latched onto uh, was the claim that what he was trying to do was rob graves of women who resembled his mother because he wanted to make a a, a skin suit of 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 his mother so he could like you know literally like you know like live inside her skin. It was like sensationalized like big time in the newspapers. And basically, each newspaper, they're like kind of like competing with each other to kind of come up with the most like crazy information, sometimes just completely fabricating, you know, and that's kind of just like journalistic integrity there. <laughs> um, and basically, it, it came to be that like people would start saying that this guy was gay or transsexual. The funny thing is that's not true. <laughs> leaps that people that people have made because you know it's it, it's it's a good story i mean it it provided the fodder for uh you know the stuff that came afterwards like uh robert block's novel psycho which came out just like a year after that and like like these things all these things happened very quickly because people like again they latched onto it the sensationalism was absurd not here to to defend serial killers by any chance by 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 any stretch but like much, many of the murders attributed to him that you know he, he confessed to there is there's reasonable doubt i don't find find grave robbing in itself to be like it's not it's not even on the same level as 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 murder <laughs> bodies are bodies and and it's fucked up like you know, what he was what he was making and and, and doing out of them I mean, like yeah it's 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 messed up but like it is quite a it is quite a leap to go from that mm-hmm. to a trans serial killer who uh 
who like wanted with mommy issues who 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 wanted to be his mother um this this took place at during the 1950s like the height of uh american um sexual repression and small town uh paranoia and and whatnot and like ed gein came out of this yeah well i think part of it also you know like so it's the 1950s this is when the united states was like pretty much hardcore nuclear family all the way because you know this is like after um world war ii and suddenly more women are in the workplace and they're and they want to kind of preserve that traditional structure again you know like what the family ought to look like and basically and when you start crossing over like your roles your expression that's kind of seen as uh going against your nature a betrayal not only of yourself but also of like the society that you occupy which of course is it's bullshit but like that's kind of like i i think there's a reason why the narrative stuck when it did yeah and that's because you know society was climbing out of war and it was trying to reestablish the norms even though after world war ii we can't really go back I mean, there's a reason why, like, like noir films, like, had, like, that, like, femme fatale trope, for example. You know, that was, like, men realizing, like, this, like, elusive power that women could potentially, like, possess and their, you know, demasculization and their kind of, like, their role of power is being threatened. Mm -hmm. And basically, I think it, it makes a lot of sense why kind of, like, gender weirdness was, uh, uh, you know as as you say was applied to ed gein and just basically kind of like became like the dominant narrative because it, it really messed with kind of like the hysteria at the time of like you know the fact that women could end up being more like men vice versa um and yeah. that these like structures surrounding gender uh that they are more malleable than we first thought Definitely. Um, so basically, if we we associate this with like, you know, a grave robber, a like, you know, a serial killer, as far as the the cultural mythology is concerned, then we can continue pushing the narrative of like, men must do this, women must do this, and anything that deviates from that is evil and wrong, and there's something messed up with your head. That's kind of. And that's what paves the way for kind of like the role of almost like gender nonconformity and something like psycho. Yeah, we were trying to fit our ourselves and our society into the nuclear family, which is a um, how do how do I put it? A deeply unnatural and uh, way of organizing um, organizing family and community. The rigidity of roles, the um, hierarchy of gender the all you know, all that stuff it's 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 enough to drive you know it, it drove us insane yeah gender deviance was pathologized like people people learned these things about ed gein these these things that are i'm not gonna say innocuous because yeah killing killing people is bad it's a tabloid story that people kind of saw and exploited and kind of like sensationalized because it actually fit their narrative of like this is this is what you are you basically become this ed gain um psycho if you don't behave like how a man should be or if you're a woman mm. how a woman should be um and, and i think like honestly like these kind of tabloid stories like as far as i'm concerned even if like ed ed gain was like 
genderqueer or something in some way or another. I don't think it really has that much relevance based off, like, as, like, a, an example of, like, how, like, gender, like, queerness and stuff is, like, observed in society because the vast majority of people are, are fairly functional. Dare I say sometimes more functional than straight people are. Yeah. You know, this is kind of, like, what, like, kind of, like, gender fascist, uh, like, basically highlight is, like, worst case scenarios of, like, somebody that they want all the all the school shooters to be trans when only like one out of hundreds are right like basically they want to they want the gender non-conforming people to be like the rapist and like the murderers and kind of the grave robbers because it helps them maintain their power and understanding of gender sex whatever you want to call it in society yeah, and, okay, like, honestly, as far as Ed Gein and his his gender, like, I do think, I do think that there probably was gender weirdness there. The, the way that the media and the press and the public treated it in subsequent years uh, is, like, honestly, far worse and far more damaging than anything Ed Gein did as an anything he could have done as an individual they needed somebody to kind of point towards because they felt like their power was being lost you know there are like grisly murders that happen like all the time all across the world this was sensationalized because it helped them it helped society maintain like its traditions the reason it was such a you know made such a thunderous impact was the gendered component to it the gender deviance um, that's that's what people latched on to, because whenever there are extremes, uh, extremities in, you know, human beings, whenever whenever they do things that whenever outliers do, like commit egregious acts of violence or things that just horrify us uh, and shake us to our core, we have a tendency to to want project onto it and uh, narrativize and create uh create something out of it to make sense of it and with ed gein uh people people saw this uh people saw this case and artists got a hold of it um artists who have their own their own gender issues because all artists do um (laughs) robert block uh picked it up um ed gein stayed in conversation it was the movie, really, that did it. It is a horror filmmaker at the height of his powers, a gender-weird filmmaker um, himself, took this story and made it into one of the greatest horror films ever made. It gripped people, like, like from beginning to end. Like, the, the fact that our protagonist gets killed halfway through, it's a plot twist that it, it shocked people and, and really like rocked the mainstream to its to its core, and then that on top of the whole uh, the the twist with you know Nora Bates, it was just it was a perfect storm. It's a good story, <laughs> like it's a good story. I hate to say it, but you know it is, uh, and that's the that's the problem <laughs> is that it is a good story. So people latched onto that, and it spoke to a lot of the fears and anxieties that. Uh, people at the time were having about about gender because you know we, I, like like I said a whole decade decades of gender anxiety and um, and you know and and like you have a story like this 
then you know yeah that's 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 gonna grip people uh it's hard to even put it on all on block or uh or hitchcock it, it was an existing hysteria it was the culture around it that they kind of like but it 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 just further cemented it into the pop culture zeitgeist art doesn't exist in a vacuum it exists in a conversation with like other pieces of art, with pop culture, with society, with politics. But if you look at something like Psycho, how would you say that? Like, uh, wh- what do you think that Psycho says about like gender and mental illness specifically? The anxiety of of uh, really, really the family and, and and whatnot. Because like from the very beginning of Psycho, it opens with a, a rather. A scandalous a scandalous scene scene that violates the you know the, the social norms it is something that we we don't think today of as very scandalous um at least i, I don't think so but like but at the at the time that was shocking you see society first and you see the camera is taking us through the window and a lot of that is there's always something behind closed doors you know that you know if we peer through the peephole or through the windows we see a lot, we see something else going on. You know, there is society, but then there's also, you know, social nonconformity, you know, people doing things against society's interest. And by that, I mean, like, traditional interest. Um, whether that be, like, affairs, um, homosexuality, cross-dressing, um, you know, so on. Um, it, it's all there, and it's, like, something that's, like, present right from the beginning of the film. Yeah, and the there's you know there there's the whole like her her you know having this affair with a a, a married guy um something that the audience would have like you know morally condemned at the time um the the money that she steals the rich guy who does it he's doing it he's putting a down payment on uh a, a house for his daughter who's getting married it's it's like it's it's every and that's and that's what she's stealing it's everywhere throughout is is commentary on uh the family and uh you know what is what is what is expected there's like commentary on family gender um like marriage like all throughout and basically it's it's saying that these structures that we have they don't account for everybody they don't account for the mentally disturbed people you know they don't account for abusive relationships norman bates at a young age norman bates snapped and he killed like his his mother and and her lover right um and but like from there on like his worst crime is being a voyeur and being complicit in like cleaning up after his mother's crimes because when he goes when he enters into norman bates mode you know his body his mind we should blame that on like like it, it's it's a psychological condition where basically he construct it's not his mother but it's a it's a reconstruction of his mother just mm-hmm. there and responding to his sexual interest repressing him and his potential as a person even beyond the grave yeah especially at the end with that like scene with the psychologist it makes a case the audience is kind of um stupid in a way because they're they're talked down to not because like oh well we already know this they don't know this this is why the scene is there the scene basically posits that like free will as we understand it is limited it it, we're all like byproducts of like our brain chemistry 
And so, like, Bates is not really, shouldn't really be to blame for the crimes of his, like, psycho killer persona. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't really read, like, Norman as the villain, I think, because... Because the Norma Bates side of him becomes the dominant host of his body, and we shouldn't recognize them as exactly the same person. Because, like, through this scene, the film is basically suggesting that, like, the uh, the mentally disturbed, what they need is they need medical attention, and they shouldn't necessarily be held responsible for their actions. I wouldn't view Norman as, like, transgender, as we generally understand the term, like a transgender woman. Because he doesn't really desire to be a woman. I find Psycho more problematic as far as uh, from a mental illness uh, perspective than a than a, 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 a transgender one. Because we knew so little about mental illness then. Like like the like it's it 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 cannot be overemphasized that to a degree everyone was was crazy our society was making was driving us all nuts and that's and that's not in the not in the in the in the way of like clinical mental illness uh necessarily but you know our society and the and 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 the the rigidity of gender hierarchy and the nuclear family and all that it was it was you know driving us nuts making us dysfunctional and that's something that uh that I, I i find most interesting about about psycho is that not charitable representation of mental illness but uh it makes sense it makes sense for the time for the time I, I i do definitely view it as like a call to empathy but it is like its own mythologized kind of approximation of like dissociative identity disorder in a way but it's it's not that. It's not quite that. Actually, the sequel by uh, Richard Franklin, which I actually would defend, um, basically in Psycho 2, Norman's like rehabilitated. He's like released from prison. He's trying to live out his day-to-day life, but the people around him almost want him to go psycho mode again. That way, and push him back into that place because they don't like him. They don't trust him. They're the ones who push him into that place that he once was. Because society doesn't care about rehabilitation. They just want a psycho to persecute. Going back to the first movie, I saw that these um, ideas that, that the second film were like going for are very much present in Alfred Hitchcock's film. They can be a bit more subtle. And it's, it's hard for me not to view the movie in a way as like a call to empathy. Like especially to, like, to understand that society does not account for everybody. Society basically what can we do except just like ostracize this person or, or like bring him to death? Um, we can, so what we do is we have to treat him. We have to treat him as a person, mm-hmm. a, a, a person struggling with a lot. Um, Absolutely. And people want to like point towards different things, like as like the factor, people will say like, Oh, you know, these, this person's, this person's just crazy. This person's just like sick in the head. And the, and the doctor's just going to go like, well, not exactly. Not exactly. They're like, oh, he's a transvestite because they don't understand cross-dressers, gay people, trans people. Mm -hmm. So they want somebody to point towards kind of as like to blame. No, Norman Bates is not a transvestite. It's important to know that Anthony Perkins was queer himself and Hitchcock was casting gay and bi people in his films well before that and strangers on a train is very much 
a homo film. I don't know if you've seen Rope from nineteen from the nineteen forties, nineteen forty eight. You can't watch that film without seeing them as gay, at least today. I think he was very self-aware. I think that Hitchcock was kind of a uh, bad apple, or I guess as you would call a rotten egg. He was not like the nicest of person. And, and uh, uh, what Tippi Hedren was, has accused him of uh, sexual like harassment and assault even, um, and also like th- threatening to blackmail, things like that. Yeah, not the best guy. Yeah, he 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 abused he abused the shit out of multiple of his yeah. actresses, and we can we can we can acknowledge that, and also at, at the same time, you know, acknowledge that yeah, the dude had some uh, some issues with 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 gender. In a lot of ways, I, I find Hitchcock's films like really fascinating, and and how they explore like human interactions. But I feel like in a lot of ways he's projecting, but he also has like this like I think that his misogyny. I think his complicated relationship with gender probably says some things about himself. Um, no, I'm not necessarily as convinced as you are that he was like a closet trans woman, but uh, I, I think like arguing that Alfred Hitchcock was actually Alfred Bitchcock is very, is a very interesting theory. I think like, and, and people, like to just write him off as being okay like yeah he was he was a misogynist who who hated women and uh that's that's obviously what his you know what the 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 text of his films reads and that that's but no no actually uh he was he was gender weird himself to some degree i mean yeah i think i think him being such a gay ally with like his casting decisions and writing decisions or you know, directorial and writing decisions of, like, the stories that he wanted to tell. He knew what he was doing in that respect. But I think, like, his complicated relationship with the other unattainable sex, I think it goes deeper than that. And I, I, and I, think, that, I think the same for Polanski also, honestly. I don't think that uh, Tenant comes out of nothing. Oh, absolutely not. Like, his whole... Uh, like repulsion, Rosemary's Baby, the Tenet are all like very, they're in tune with, uh, anxiety, uh, female anxiety. Art is always a reflection of, of the time, the time in the, the society that it's created in. And these anxieties that are, these gender anxieties that are contained in Psycho, they're, they're yeah, they're obviously anxieties that, Hitchcock himself, Hitchcock and Block themselves felt, um, because, you know, like I said, it is, is a, uh, gender is a universe, gender is a universal affliction. And especially in, in those days, it was, it was something inflicted on, on all of us. I, I think also, like, you know, somebody like him may resort to, like, misogyny and, you know, unfortunately, like, sexual harassment and stuff. Uh, I think, like, and I've never done anything as bad as, like, uh, Hitchcock or Polanski, but but coming at it from a transgender perspective, though, there was a period in my life where I, I, I have had, like, quite, like, disturbed thoughts and kind of, and I think a lot of that comes down to, like, the toxic relationship <laughs> between, you know, my outward expression and internal kind of, like, you know, mindset, to you know, testosterone controlling me in a way in ways that I found unfavorable and just and also but then also trying to like relish in that trying to be as manly as possible 
Because when you wrestle with gender, from my experience, and you try to, you know, for me, like trying to be as the manliest man that I could realistically be, I just become kind of this big jackass kind of, um, I don't know how people tolerate it. I mean, I'm sure I probably had some good qualities because deep down, you know, I, I am who I am, but I was trying to simulate something that didn't really reflect kind of like my real, you know, true desire, you know, of, of being. Our relationships with women, um, cis women, especially kind of like, it can be a bit like problematic when you're kind of trying to be as manly as possible because you want women, you want women kind of in close proximity because you want femininity, but at the same time, you also want to separate, divorce yourself from really understanding the female psyche. A, a defining component of masculinity is uh, antipathy and antagonism toward femininity. Trying to be as manly as possible, uh, it, misogyny kind of comes with that. Uh, it, it, it's part of the package. You kind of hate yourself because of the because deep down you might see yourself as a little bit womanly and like, no, I want, I hate that. I don't like that. So therefore you just start hating almost, you know, all women. Every guy has feminine qualities like, like in them, uh, as, as we define femininity. I, I don't think ultimately femininity and masculinity are completely relative and constructed anyways, but like, but every man has some, uh, has some, you know, things we would call feminine in them just like every uh, every woman has streaks of masculinity um and or what we think of as masculinity in um in them even 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 the toxic kinds artists you know that are basically constructed these female characters especially that kind of like take i mean like psycho in particular like it's a female lead right you engage with gender you engage with the opposite and then as you engage with the opposite, to truly understand the opposite, you start realizing that you might have a lot more in common with them than you thought. And yeah, I think that's another reason why gender weirdness is so uh, ubiquitous among artists and storytellers is because, you know, if you're a, if you're, if you're a male storyteller, you can put yourself, it, if you will, put yourself inside the, the mind or the skin of a woman and and explore explore the world from their perspective and you know really that's I, th I think all male artists who tell who tell stories with women at the center of them I, I like that's what I think they're doing um and that's what that's why I think uh you know psycho is so is so resonant in, in a way and it fits very well into uh Hitchcock's own you know filmography and kind of exploration of gender as it manifests in different ways yeah, yeah I, I definitely think so. i think i think it's it's a very compelling film and and in, in that respect although i do i do have to wonder do you think that now i said that i don't view norman bates as like transgender at least how we generally understand transgender do you agree with that um well you have to remember it's very it is a product of its time and at the time um, the reason the psychologist has to clarify that uh, no, he's not a transvestite is because the 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 common perception for like you know the the uh, normal people the the mainstream perception of transness was largely the idea that there are uh, there are men who in in the in the privacy of their own homes wear women's clothes 
uh, the guy has to clarify that no, that's not the case with 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 Norman. It's a there there's a pathology thing happening here, and it's so it's 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 impossible to say really. Like yeah, but but it is interesting that the idea of like I think what like Hitchcock is trying to say is just reemphasizing like no, your perceptions of the mentally disturbed are wrong, and they will continue to be wrong. You're trying to point towards otherness in other ways but at the end of the day you can't really blame this guy he's just a victim of abuse yeah um even with that you know with that like moment of saying of clarification that this is not what you know cross-dressing or transness is general audiences don't care general audiences will still watch that and then you know, they hear about some transgender person and kind of think, you mean like Norman Bates? You mean like Buffalo Bill? Mm-hmm. Transphobes or homophobes, whatever. They'll look at gender deviance. They'll try to villainize, you know, like immediately. They'll try to villainize. They'll, they'll, they'll find whatever reference that they can. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily just blame Psycho or Silence of the Lambs. Ultimately, it's their problem and society's problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've, I'm speaking as somebody who's been called Buffalo Bill. You know, a lot of ways we can view kind of like the cultural mythology that's like, that fuels transphobia as in homophobia as it exists today in a film like this. I mean, like think about how like Norman Bates, like, what is the attacker? He attacks her in the shower. He attacks her in the restroom. Yeah. By wearing kind of like drag. I mean, it's not him. Again, it's not him. It's more Norma. But, you know, the association in, in, in the public's eyes is basically that's, you know, that's who he is. This is why we can't have trans women in women's restrooms because, you know, they're out to get real natural women. It's kind of like the mentality that like that so-called feminist push. <laughs> they project their fears, their fears onto it. And like I, the, the her being... Uh, attacked in the bathroom specifically in the shower is bathrooms just like a- as a whole since the uh industrial revolution which is like bathrooms divided by gender are relatively a very new thing um uh it's one of those things like we take for granted now it, it's it's worth noting at one point in time uh white women did not want black women in their restrooms when they were divided by gender and basically, they don't want black women in there. And, and their arguments would basically be the same kind of hysterical nonsense that you still get today. Just like, oh, well, you know, they may start like dealing drugs there or like, like it, it was really just completely ridiculous. Um, the interesting way place that bathrooms occupy uh, our uh, art and culture is, is 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 fascinating. We're in the shower where we're completely exposed we're uh that's you know we are we are most vulnerable uh to attack and and i think um it's something that's been that's been around since before since well before psycho uh ever since you know bathrooms started being divided by gender we started making those making those distinctions um in the first place because you know it's gender is the thing that drives people nuts (laughs) Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting, but do you think also like in spite of the way that kind of like people will look at like a text like Psycho and kind of use it to further fuel their like pre-existing like 
misconceptions about the other do do you think like in spite of that in spite of like how it can be co-opted or kind of or just kind of the uh the worst aspects like extrapolated and, and and expanded upon in society like the negative stereotypes about gender non-conforming people do you think that in spite of all that we can find something within psycho to relate to to kind of like reevaluate and kind of like you know project our own experiences to um and find something positive to come out of that because at the end of the day like you know this is like such a staple in pop culture is there a way to reclaim it in a way well yeah i think um i think the 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 important thing that we need to we need to really understand it when engaging with art like psycho is that this is where this is where people's minds were this is where people's fears and anxieties were at that point in history it's very much uh timely uh the reflection like i said art is art is a mirror i think it is it is very it's useful as a a tool to to understand where uh, the form that a lot of these anxieties that are still around in the present day, uh, where they come from, and you know, understanding that Psycho is not a, it is not documentary. It is not uh, hysteria is the is the 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 problem. Um, and as far as as far as like reclamation goes, uh, I have a, yeah, like I have a hard time seeing Psycho as a a transgender film like at all like 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 i said i think what it concerns itself with is more uh uh gender roles within you know the 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 construct of the family silence of the lambs on the other hand i think that is that is that is that is quite reclaimable it is 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 one of my favorite movies um i will uh i am ride or die i mean i love psycho as well but like i silence of the lambs when I first heard about trans people, this is the context. My dad was telling me about the story about when he was younger. This this date took him as a joke to, I guess, some tranny bar or something like that. Something where a lot of trans people went. I think, you know, he would just say all, they're all transvestites. So that's how he said it. And at first, he just thought that most of them were, 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 were just like, you know, cis women. And basically, I guess it was a prank on him that actually these, these people are transgender. He said that he felt like vomiting. Yeah. Um, and so I, from the from a very early age, I had, I understood that certain, like, cultural stigma against gender nonconformity. I didn't really understand why it's there, but I figured the fact that I don't understand it tells me there's something wrong with me, and I should be more guyish, whatever. Um, and so the first film that I watched that really dealt with transness in any significant way, in my opinion with Silence of the Lambs. Buffalo Bill is dancing to Goodbye Horses. And I didn't quite get it. I didn't know if they supposed to have a vagina or what. I, I didn't know what talking... I didn't understand that. I was just completely... I uh, I just wasn't sure how to take it. I uh, I, I just... I, I, and I feel like something clicked in me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and basically... And so kind of like the way that I kind of... There's a reason why I liked it. And that's because it, it dealt with something I haven't, I haven't seen before. Years later, I started hearing more about trans people, and I started hearing the argument that the movie was transphobic, and I was almost got defensive because, like, no, that's not what a trans person is. I, you know, there was like this video by Renegade Cut that was basically arguing that we are misgendering Buffalo Bill 
I mean, that's, that's how, that's how cis people talk about this kind of thing, but you know, bless that guy's heart. Um, but, but, you know, but it did kind of get me thinking a little bit more about kind of like transphobia, it can be observed in media. So when I made my video on Sansa Lands, it was almost kind of like me collecting my thoughts. Upon like further like reflection, I don't, I would maybe argue that 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 character is trans, potentially. Yeah, like the way I choose to read it um, is that is is a is as a commentary um, on uh, medical gatekeeping. See, and you know this. I read the character of Clarice Starling as a trans woman. It, it I feel like it elevates it to uh, to an interesting degree because. You have, uh, you have this 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 trans woman leading, you know, this investigation into a a a, a case of this, you know, not a real transsexual, but uh, you know, recalls one, uh, and 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 as far as you know, like the mainstream's perception, it's I mean, there's there is that irony there in this in the, in the story that I, I really I really like. I think in this case it's an interesting inter it's an interesting kind of like way to read the film. I I obviously don't think that that like Clarice was like intended to be like transgender. I mean there are certain lines that kind of <laughs> you know something like I can smell your cunt. I for one cannot. It's there, and also she is the one that's so eager to like tell him like no transsexuals are not like this. Transsexuals are this, not that. There's enough of an emphasis on how like for her that like her being a woman is what kind of makes like you know people around her either not take her seriously or fetishize her and that's kind of like extends to kind of like how the film treats kind of like womanhood and manhood as separate as these kind of but you know she wants to assimilate into the male space in a way as but while buffalo bill at least tells themselves that they want to um become a woman i think we should i think we should empathize with jamie to some degree because because yeah that's a that's, that's buffalo bill's name is uh jamie it was jame right yeah um but uh but yeah and like the whole the reason why uh billy is not a real transsexual is uh is because the the reason that Jamie was uh was was turned down and rejected um by all these institutions um for 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 surgery was because they were told that uh they were unstable at what point can we say that somebody is or isn't trans like do you think like like Vivian do you think that like some people who say that they're trans aren't actually trans it's a, it's a discussion that the films that we're talking about inevitably lead to See, uh, it's difficult to say because, like, okay, in the present day, if someone says they're trans or gender nonconforming or queer or whatever, then I, I, I believe that, that then they are. It's, it's something that we don't, uh, we don't really like to, we're, we're uncomfortable with, especially when it's, uh, questionable people that we don't really, you know, we don't want to be associated with are, are, are claiming to be, you know, the, the, what, you know, what we are. Uh, but the wisdom of the day, is uh, and the, the the consensus among like the community uh, as it is today is if someone says they're trans they're trans um right but at the same time there are also people who 
began transitioning, whether it's social, medical, sometimes it's both, and then start to realize that this isn't actually for them and they start no longer identifying as trans. And I talk about people who detransition uh, because, you know, for like financial reasons or like social reasons, people like to act like it's a lot more, but those people are usually transphobic, but it, it, it's marginal. But, you know, there are like some detransitioners who claim that actually I was just wrong about being trans. And, and to claim that, almost basically assumes that transness is something you can either be or or you can either possess or not possess and we can think of ourselves as possessing something this is this is kind of where i find detransitioners interesting because i think that they do kind of challenge like a lot of assumptions that i think that trans activists make it is some people's experience they transition they realize that they're not trans and could buffalo bill consider um potentially be that as like as far as as far as detransitioners go, my take on that take on that is I think it may be controversial, but I, I think they do have a place of sorts in our community because as far as I'm concerned, to fit under the trans umbrella or the 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 gender weird umbrella uh, means to engage with to consciously engage with one's gender um which would make detransitioners as far as i'm concerned they're even if they're not if they're not trans anymore regardless they're not cis well they may they, they might label the term cis though but they're not i think like they're very they, they're the very least gender weight is what you would say like this is one of the trouble that i also see a lot of just trans non-detransition or just like transgender people go through some transgender women try to go so hard into being in their mind the unobtain the previously unobtainable. They try to conquer femininity to the point that femininity conquers them. Yeah. This is what Euphoria almost comments on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that can lead to people feeling like, oh, I'm still being a prisoner of gender. And I think that that's kind of where some detransitioners emerge somewhere along that spectrum. Cause at the end of the day, I don't really low key don't really believe in men and women, but I, I do think that at the very least detransitioners kind of um, pose a, like an interesting called for rhetorical reevaluation. I think so many trans people will like detransition temporarily, you know, but they still identify as trans inside or outside. But I'm talking about people who realize that they're not trans at all. And and now they identify as cis, or sometimes they'll just go for non-binary somewhere in between. I think that that does kind of open up an interesting kind of like place where somebody like Jane Gum might fit. At the very least, I do think that like, that's kind of what Jonathan Demme with this film was trying to go for. We shouldn't view Buffalo Bill as a real transsexual. And I think, okay, so that means there is such thing as a real and not real transness. And, and I think that's an interesting assumption, but I don't know if it's accurate. <laughs> Claiming that, that, that there are real versus you know, not real is, is kind of, um, it's gatekeepy, it's gatekeepy as fuck, but also, um, it's gender, gender is fluid. Like that, 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 that's the important thing to remember above all else is that gender is fluid and unfixed. It's like that for everybody, whether people want to admit it or not. Yeah. And the cases with like, with detransitioners, like 
even even thinking of them as detransitioners, like they transitioned and then they detransitioned. They're riding the waves of gender exploration. Exactly. Like they're, I think, you know, de- so-called detransitioners are um, just an, on it, the next step of their gender journey. And uh, of course, it's of course, it's politicized by gender fascists um, as you know, which is which is honestly more reason why I feel like trans people should kind of have more dialogues with de trans people um, to kind of like understand exactly like, hey, maybe our current rhetoric, rhetorical assumptions aren't actually the most inclusive like we thought. And I, th- I think that that's something that kind of needs to be kind of interrogated in society a bit more. Unfortunately, a lot of D-trans people kind of make it hard because they just opt for transphobia because they realize that transitioning wasn't right for them. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, they, they, that's, you know, that's how, if, if, if you're a, a detransitioner, it is, it's, it's profitable to, uh, there, there's a whole side of the, of the political spectrum that, they want to politicize your existence and, you know, and, you know, you want to, you know, capitalize on that because, you know, it's everybody has, everybody has to cap, uh, like make some, have some way of monetizing their, uh, their identities. Um, but yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, there is that. And I think if, if the, the community, we were more, uh, we had more dialogue with so-called detransitioners, they have a place in our in our community our community isn't something you can just you can't just you can't opt out of it you've 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 done the you've taken the journey you've taken the steps on the journey a journey that most people don't even take first steps on do you think that that kind of like rhetoric could potentially be seen as like similar to the idea of like oh you know as a trans woman you can't really claim to be a woman because you you grew up as a boy, you you spent 20 years of your life as a boy. Can you really say that you can't undo that? Like, so does that, you know, wouldn't that follow the same logic? Uh, maybe I think, I think it's, I think it's more complicated than that. Just in, in general, given that, you know, gender is, it's fluid. It's, it's fluid. And it's, it's something that's in, you know, constantly evolving. And I, I don't think it, because yeah, my gender experience as someone who was who performed masculinity for 20 years and then, you know, embraced femininity um and start you know live start living as a woman, like my gender experience in in that case is different than someone who was, you know, assigned assigned female and spent their first 20 years as uh, you know, performing womanhood um then like like we do have a different gender experience um and i think you know our, our differences are our differences are something that should you know should be acknowledged well i mean i think it's i think it's acknowledged just by the prefix of cis versus trans yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and it's something that we we need to you know we acknowledge but not let it get in our way you know the fact is, is gender is the thing that's is 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 the thing that's messing us up um, like even people who are supposedly secure in their gender. Well, yeah, I mean, you're saying that I, like, you know, as soon as somebody identifies as trans, it's when we say, okay, yeah, you're trans. I, I don't know. I think when it comes to cis people, I can maybe question their cisness at times. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
uh, I mean, I see gender as just as being this very relative thing anyway. So like, you know, when it, when it, when a cis person's like, you know, no, I am actually a woman or actually, I actually do, do accept, you know, the, all the things that were prescribed for me, you know, gender wise, my, you know, my entire life and upbringing and, and whatnot. And I just, I have to question that because like, well, I think at the very least it needs to be more dialogue. And I feel like the more I think we can kind of actually like make life better for both of us. But I think like when you start off, but I think the thing is detransitioners, you know, their experience is like, Oh, I should have never been on hormones in the first place. I wish I was gatekept more. They want to bring suffering on other people. I have been prescribed antidepressants that made me feel worse i do not think that that means other people should not be on those antidepressants if it makes them better exactly yeah and i view hormones for me as alleviating things that antidepressants do not work for (laughs) i think like gender of course is like a very like complicated thing one of the things i find interesting about this film is that goodbye horses scene because not only does it kind of like cut back and forth between like um Catherine the victim and that kind of like that pit um trying to emerge once again and, and reach the other side but in, in some ways it, it kind of like engages with the idea of male gaze as like theorized by Laura Mulvey the way that that Mulvey was like positing is that like the male gaze as we understand it is like it's a it's a like a three-way conversation between the filmmaker the subject, which is fe- which is female, and the the male dominated audiences, and through that, women are objectified. Now, Buffalo Bill, the video that they're kind of like uh, filming, is basically functions not as like the male gaze, but almost like the autogynophile gaze, and I find that very interesting because in a way they are the filmmaker, the subject, and the audience. Yeah, very interesting. Now, autogynophilia, basically the idea that, like, you know, trans women are just trying to turn themselves on by being womanly. Mm-hmm. It's like a myth that transphobes will use to attack us, but I don't really understand it because there's nothing really wrong with, like, being turned on by how you look, and cis women are like that. <laughs> My whole thing with autogynophilia, uh, as I understand it, is... Do, do do I think it's a real phenomenon or not? Um, well, uh, of course it's of course it's a real phenomenon. Um, I think I think uh, I think if anyone's uh, afflicted by it the most, uh, then it would be the closeted male, uh, you know, theorists who who create a hysteria over it. <laughs> um, but like, but even even so, it yeah, it's probably a real phenomenon. Um, is it? Is it is it something that's shared by uh, all trans people? Uh, of course not. Um, and even even if so, what's the problem with it? Like, I, what, th- there there's there is nothing. People are turned on. By, people are turned on by a lot stranger stuff than the mm-hmm. the idea of of being, you know, of, of of being hot in in one's own skin, like. Autogynophilia for me was just kind of like ridiculous at this point. But when I first started, yeah, through cross dressing as it was at that point, 
yeah, it kind of did give me this rush of excitement, but that was gendered euphoria that was speaking more than anything else. The way that my body was wired, yeah, I mean, I would, I would kind of look at myself and want like be like, wow, I can look good. And mm-hmm. it could be sexually, it could be sexually exciting because also not only that, but also like I get a whole new wave of people looking at me in, in ways that they didn't before. So yeah, I want to look hot. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, at this point, I don't really, pff, I don't like really care. <laughs> but like, but yeah, but early on, like, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, but because of that, I thought, oh, what if I'm just an autogynophile and I'm just bringing trans people down by saying that I'm trans? If I were to say I'm trans, it is just nonsense. It's, it's nonsense. If you are a little, if you find it like a little bit sexually exciting to cross dress, it doesn't say anything. You can be sexually excited about all sorts of different things. Uh, it, to me, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, especially after spending so much of my life and not really be, being comfortable with how I look. Yeah, I better be attracted to myself. <laughs> yeah, like I never thought I was I never thought I was very attractive as, as a guy. Um, everyone, most people around me disagreed, but like I never I never saw it. But 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 now, yeah, I'm se- I'm sexy as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're sexy. I'm fine admitting that. Uh, I'd I <laughs> I'd fuck me. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting. It, it's an interesting thing that like what like Buffalo Bill is basically doing here is like is basically kind of like almost like objectifying themselves in a way and kind of like. But it's it, it's like a it, it is like they are all three things in that con- in the in the conversation of the male of the male gaze. Only now that you know this like the autogynophile gaze. It, it, it's really interesting. Although at the same time, it does kind of potentially perpetuate kind of like negative uh, association. You know what? Screw it. I don't even care. The way that I see that scene is liberating. Good for her. It cracked my egg a little bit. I've, uh, it's, uh, I mean, is it framing this person as kind of being a weirdo? I mean, maybe, but I like being a little bit of a weirdo, you know? We're, We're gender weird. We are, we are deviants in, we are deviants incarnate. It'd be it'd be it'd be stranger if we if we weren't a little weird uh yeah I, the, the way that i see it the way that i see like you know buffalo bill or norman bates or like leatherface and like texas chainsaw massacre uh michael kane's character in dress to kill uh the character in, in the tenant uh angela from sleepaway camp uh the the, the trans man character in uh um strange circus all of these characters, in a way, in my opinion, we can view them like bad kind of representations of us. But at the same time, we can also find something liberating through that transgression. You know, I think that like John Waters and like Kenneth Anger, they were aiming for something with their films like Pink Flamingos or like Fireworks and, and Scorpio Rising. We represent ourselves with transgression. And sometimes in the past, our allies have too. Yeah. Does it come back to bite us in some ways? Yeah, potentially it does. But at the same time, should we really sacrifice our own artistic integrity in fear of giving transphobes and homophobes more power? The way I see it is, no, I think we should stand in defiance to them. I don't think we should assimilate into kind of the status quo. I, you know, more than we like absolutely need to, to survive and, and, you know, and, and live comfortably we shouldn't be watering down our art. And I think that people, and at the end of the day, I think that Jonathan Demme was exploring something about gender with Sansa Lambs. I think Alfred Hitchcock was exploring something about gender with Psycho. 
we shouldn't be so quick to judge them and call them appropriative, I think, when it comes to, like, specifically wrestling with gender. Things can have social consequences. But society is going to hate us one way or another. The way people analyze and look at uh, the Psycho and Silence of the Lambs and whatnot is, um, is this character a uh, d- uh, damaging, a negative representation of a trans person or... Or, you know, is Jamie Gum uh, a, a trans woman who's, you know, misgendered throughout the text and whatnot? And it's like, both things can be true. That's how art works. Um, and it's it's all about what does, what does it mean in, in either case? We've talked to, talked to death about how it is a, a offensive and a damaging stereotype. And, and whatnot, like, like, yeah, we've, we've, we've had those conversations. We've been having those conversations. Cis people are having those fucking conversations. I think the the conversation about, you know, what if Billy is a real transsexual? What are what are the implications of that? What does that tell us about um, the world then, the world versus the world now? It's all about the implications, right? And I think that also is also about our interpretations. Our the readings that we apply to films, the way that we try to understand things and make sense of the world. Because at the end of the day, there's going to be homophobia. And so long as there's homophobia, people are going to find, you know, even art made by us and try to kind of like use it to demonize us. And I think that like, the way that I see it, you know, somebody calls me Buffalo Bill. I'm just like, all right. I mean, do I skin women? No. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm not born in the wrong body. I'm born in my own body. I just want to change it up a little bit, <laughs> you know? Uh, the way that I see it, like, you know, like, whatever. Yeah, I'm going to reclaim things like the word queer. I'm going to reclaim things like, uh, you know, faggot, tranny, whatever. It doesn't matter. This is the podcast where we say, like, faggot and tranny. Mm-hmm. And if that bothers you, well, keep listening and <laughs> <laughs> you'll get over yourself. <laughs> um but yeah, I think that about wraps it up for today's episode. Um, coming up, we're going to talk about the queerness present in Ingmar Bergman's Persona and uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, two films that kind of have a lot, that share a lot in common. So I think it can kind of like spark some interesting discussion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I am excited about that. They're two very gay movies um, and very, uh, very their relationships with their respective creators are uh, very transgender. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, make sure to subscribe to uh, our channels, Vivian Strange and Stylist Substance. Join us on Patreon and and keep listening. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>